Acts chapter 10, we'll be looking at verses 19 through 24 this morning. While Peter thought about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are seeking you. Arise, therefore, go down and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. Then Peter went down to the men who had been sent to him from Cornelius and said, Yes, I am he whom you seek. For what reason have you come? And they said, Cornelius, the centurion, a just man, one who fears God and has a good reputation among all the nation of the Jews, was divinely instructed by a holy angel to summon you to his house and to hear words from you. And then he invited them in and lodged them. And on the next day, Peter went away with them and some brethren from Joppa accompanied him. When we left off, Peter was on the rooftop of the house in which he was staying and was now pondering that vision that had come to him that the Lord had just provided for him, that he had just experienced. And the Holy Spirit speaks to him and he tells him, these men are seeking you. And in verse 20, he is commanded to arise, therefore, and go down and go with them, doubting nothing. Why? Because God says, I have sent them. It was a short time before when Peter was in the trance that he was having and called to rise and kill and eat. We saw that in, in verses 11 through 13. We note that in verse 14, Peter put up a bit of an argument. And we pointed out three other places where Peter had disagreed or argued a bit with what he was told. Now he is given a command. He's told to go down to the three men, told to go with them, and told to do it without doubting. Doubting nothing, or as the ESV has do it without hesitation. The reason for I have sent them. When you see that word for, often it means the very same thing is because. Because I have sent them. They are here because God says they were led by me. This is the first show of obedience. The three men sent by Cornelius. But we might ask, why didn't, why didn't God just send Cornelius to Peter by himself? Well, verse 5, first off, says for him, that is, uh, Cornelius, now send men to Joppa and send for Simon, whose surname is Peter. He's told by God to send men to Peter. Uh, so, that's the first reason why he doesn't go by himself. But secondly, you notice how many people are being sent to go get Peter. There are three. Peter would understand that in the mouth of two or three witnesses, things are to be established. And we saw the immediate response from Simeon was to select two of his household and a devout soldier. Now, I would not doubt that the two that he selected from his household were also uh, devout believers, perhaps in the same religious temperament as Cornelius. 
Because when Cornelius tells them about the vision that he had and, and uh, what he needed to do, there's no word of, of argument or doubt from those they just went as they were told. And this journey, this journey is going to bring a blessing. A blessing not only to Cornelius as the master of the house, but also to all of his household. A household that in, in two days will be totally transformed from outside of God's people to being part of now the covenant people, part of them. In the fourth chapter of, of the book of Romans, Paul writes about the faith of Abraham. I think there's coming a day where I won't be able to use the term the master of the house because master now has negative uh, connotations to it and ideas. And in this world of, of snowflakes, we, we can't say words like we used to because half the time they're changing the, the uh, definition of them before we even get there. But in Romans chapter 4 and verse 16, Paul writes, therefore it is of faith that it might be according to grace, so that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. And it is written, <clears throat> I have made you a father of many nations. <clears throat> In the presence of him whom he believed, God, who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did, who contrary to hope, in hope, believed, so that he became <clears throat> the father of many nations according to what was spoken. So shall your descendants be. And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead, as he was about a hundred years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb, he did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully convinced that what he had promised, he would also perform. And therefore it was accounted to him for righteousness. That beautiful description of Abraham at that point he did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but strengthened in faith, giving, giving glory to God. And we could point out his words in verse 23 as well. Whatever is not of faith is sin. We must follow God. And we must do it without doubt, without a wavering faith. James makes it clear that a, one who is lacking in faith, one who doubts, is a double-minded man. A double-minded man who is unstable in all his ways, all his ways. But God has called us to serve him with an unwavering faith, a quiet and trusting 
unwavering mind. <clears throat> there are many who go back and forth on some issues, and uh, we might <clears throat> attempt, and we should attempt when we're trying to understand something, to, to look at both sides honestly and fairly, to look at both sides. Sometimes I think that still happens, that people will still look at two sides of an issue before they come storming down on one side or the other. We can think on some decision that we might have had in life by looking at the pros and the cons of, of the decision. Sometimes when you're shopping for a vehicle, you can go to the different websites and they'll show you the pros of that vehicle and they'll show you the cons of that vehicle. But when it comes to God's commands, what God commands in his word, there is no way that we would begin to sit down, take a piece of paper, draw a line down the middle, and on one side put pro and the other side put con in regard to obeying a command of God. It would be silly for us to say, well, here's the pros of obeying God, <clears throat> and here's the negatives. <clears throat> it is possible for us, as Mary did, to question not God in his word, but the understanding of what God has said. One of the great short prayers of Scripture is this. Lord, I believe. Help thou my unbelief. That might be a good one to start every single day with. Because there will be things that happen each and every day that will cause us a little bit perhaps to doubt sometimes. Somehow our old nature... In our old nature, we're prone to dispute, to doubt what God has said or called us to do. As if he's called us into to coming into some kind of harm. Peter is told here to do what God has commanded and to do it without doubting. That is, doubting nothing. Why? That's just because it's my doing. I've sent them. They came because I brought them. Now I'm saying this is my doing. This is why you should go. Our Heavenly Father is not some kind of quasi-good Lord. Uh, good most of the time, but sometimes he can be a little, uh, little off. Paul lives in a time, and, and uh, the rest of the disciples lived in a time where Greek mythology was still quite popular. And if anyone reads Greek mythology, for the most part, I think they ought to be over 18, because the Greek gods are not nice people for the most part. And they do some very mean things, some very immoral things. And so they're speaking to an audience of people who have some background with the Greek gods and the Roman gods 
And so it's hard for them in many ways to think God's always good. The God is always a good God. He never does anything wrong. He's perfectly, perfectly righteous. And he cares for his creation. That's, that would be a foreign notion. And I'm afraid there's so much of our old nature left over that sometimes we question the goodness of God. We, we come to see things and we look at things that are going on and we wonder. But God does not bring things upon us with an evil snicker. When he sent Jonah to Nineveh, it wasn't to put Jonah in difficulty. There was nothing but purity in the command that God gave to, to Jonah. But let them know their situation. Forty days, and there will be destruction. Jonah, in his own understanding and in his selfish heart, said, no, I won't go. And in fact, he went the opposite direction that God sent him. And so much of our obedience can be tied directly to the question, do we really, do we really trust God? See, faith and trust are nearly synonymous. Do we really think that he's altogether good? With the shooting that took place yesterday, many people would ask, how can God allow this sort of thing to happen? And immediately, if you're a Democrat, you're questioning why people should have guns. But if you're not, then you're also you're thinking, maybe perhaps, how, how can these things be allowed to happen? We are so used to living among sinful people with sinful motivations and motives. We see it every day. We experience it every single day. And we get to be like Pilate. We sarcastically say, what is truth? We say, well, what is good? What is goodness? How can anything or anyone be good all the time? It's evidence of our connection to our first parents because how were they tempted to go the direction they did except that the fact that Satan caused them to do what? Question the character of God. God doesn't want you to be like him. God doesn't want you. God is withholding something good from you. And it resonated. Even in a, in among two people who had not sinned at to, to this point, that started to resonate in their minds. Imagine what happens to people who are of sinners and are sinners. What happens in their minds all the time? Just look to your own. But let us look at this instance where one who truly had faith, especially in the goodness of the Lord, responded when it seemed there was no goodness to be had from him. 
it follows and ties in in some ways to what we're looking at. But if you turn to Matthew chapter 15, we have a Gentile woman. You see, Peter's going to be uh, going to a Gentile home with Cornelius and his household. They are Gentiles. He is a Jew. Here we have a Gentile woman coming to Jesus. She comes to him on behalf of her daughter, who is severely demon-possessed. Matthew 15 and verse 21. Jesus went out there from there and departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan, a Gentile, came from that region and cried out to him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. And so she comes to him with a plea on behalf of her daughter. No doubt in the midst of this she is in great pain and great panic and great pleading. It's there in her voice. But what was Jesus' response? Verse 23. He answered her, not a word. Silence. Silence is the response this pleading woman gets. And added to this, those who were his disciples, upon hearing this woman coming in, and the verbs tell us that this she didn't ask just once, and she didn't plead just once. She kept on pleading. And so as we continue in verse 23, and his disciples came and urged him, urging Jesus, saying, send her away, for she cries out after us. Those who were specifically called by Christ and trained by him how do they respond? Send her away. She troubles us. She cries out after us. Away with this pleading Gentile woman. But she's continue her pleading. Jesus then responds to her. I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. telling her, I wasn't sent to you. You have no connection with me. But notice in verse 25, then she came and worshiped him, saying, Lord, help me. And the reply that comes from Jesus, in today's mind particularly, is almost scandalous. As he considers her as one of the dogs and not as one of the children. He says in verse 26, he answered and said, It is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. Now, can you imagine if that happened today? 
in this <clears throat> super sensitized society that we live. He's made an ethnic comment. You're not a Jew. And I have nothing to do with you then. You're a Gentile. You're like a dog, an unclean thing. Egyptians had pets in their house. Jews wouldn't. Sometimes they might have a, a sheep or a goat. Those were clean animals. But they wouldn't have a dog. A dog was, a, was one of those things that went around eating out of trash piles and they were... They were unclean. So when you were called a dog back then, you were really, you weren't called some cute little pet. That's a real deep, deep unkindness. How many would have stood or stood, turned around completely and walked away with anger welling up in them. How dare he speak to me this way? Maybe it might be good for us to know that all of us outside of Christ, Jew or Gentile, are unclean, unfit, nasty, not worth having in the house. But she doesn't leave. In fact, there's something in her words that causes her to speak again. In his words, it causes her to speak again. And she says in verse 27, Yes, Lord, yet even the little dogs eat crumbs which fall from their master's table. Why did she come to Jesus in the first place? Well, she comes because she's heard of him. His reputation of who he is. She has knowledge of him, formed by faith, as to the character of the Lord. She saw something that lay beneath his words. You see, as we read this, we, we, we quickly go down the surface reaction, but she went below the surface, and she realized Jesus didn't send her away. He didn't say to the woman, go, get out, I have nothing to do, leave. I don't want you in my presence. But he starts this dialogue with her. Ask when we go through the gospel, as you look at what he said to the woman the first time there about the fact that the doesn't give the food to the dogs. When in the other in the gospels, in any form, do you look at it and you find Jesus saying unkind words to people who were seeking him? People who were sincerely seeking him, he was always kind to them. 
always merciful to them. The people he had the strong and harsh comments for generally were the Jewish leadership, the hypocrites who should have known a whole lot better. So she senses that as far as she knows, he's never done this before. And so she gives the answer she does in verse 27. Even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. There's no reason, no earthly reason for her to expect anything from Jesus. Yet her knowledge her conception of the mercy and grace and goodness of God causes her to trust. And she was right. As you see the Lord's response in verse 28, the Lord answered and said to her, O oh woman, great is your faith. Let it be done to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. I had a man who I entered into an online discussion. He was talking about the heart and how important the heart was. And, and it was basically through the heart that we believe in Christ. And I explained that there's no, no such thing as an uninformed faith. And I pointed to the fact where Paul made that statement. I know whom I have believed. That the mind informs the heart and therefore now there can be faith. The Lord never cuts out the, the mind from the equation. But through the mind. Uh, we never read faith comes by feeling. We do read faith comes by hearing hearing by the word of God. So therefore, the mind is involved in receiving. It is, of course, worked on by the Holy Spirit to take in these words, to understand these words, and therefore, then they go into the heart. Oh, woman, great is your faith. Faith is not some kind of nebulous feeling of the heart. Faith changes the heart by the illumination of the truth. Hearing accompanied with faith. Now how do we bring these two events together? How do we bring this Gentile woman coming to Jesus and Peter going off to speak to Gentiles? To go down from where he was, to follow them into a place, and be in a house where up to this point he would have considered himself unclean to go into. How do we put this together? Well, the Lord said to Peter, go down and go with them, doubting nothing. In Micah 6 and verse 8, it speaks of what is required of us. And in that verse, there are three things that are required. The last thing listed is to walk Humbly with your God. To walk humbly with your God. That's something we can only do by grace. 
Everything in Peter was set to question and balk at the idea of going to speak to Gentiles in a Gentile house. Everything in that woman must have told her that Jews have no dealings with Gentiles. But as we come back to our passage in Acts chapter 10, we find something very interesting. When we get to verse 28 of chapter 10, something's happened. Peter is not seeing things the way he used to see them. And so in Acts chapter 10, verse 28, he said to them, upon meeting Cornelius, he said to them, you know how unlawful it is for Jewish men to keep company or to go with one of another nation. Great way to start a conversation, brother. You know I'm defiling myself from being with you, supposedly. Except... But God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Therefore, I came without objection as soon as I was sent for. What a change from before saying, I've never touched, had anything unclean. Now, we see something different. With this section that we're looking at, see how it, it ends. In verse 23, then he invited them in and lodged with them. In the place where Peter was staying, he invites these messengers of Cornelius who before would not have been able to come into that house. Faith caused the change in him. And faith caused this woman to set aside her uncertainty and go to Jesus. Faith causes us to see who we are and who God is. And when we truly see who God is, when we come to know his character, we cease striving, we cease doubting, we cease arguing and say, yes, Lord. If anything, we've learned from Matthew 15 as we're looking through this, that even when the Lord seems that he is unkind, he's being kind. It takes us beyond what we see on the surface. The final word. Because there's been the mention of visions and trances, it's good for us to remind ourselves that these are things that we should not be really wanting to seek for ourselves. These are, are not things we seek because it happened to them. See, we have to understand time and context. Peter gets a vision, goes into a trance. Yes, because of that particular time and necessity. And if we look through the book of Acts and we see these things that happen, we know that they happen only to select people at select times for select causes. We're not to seek for them today. In their day, there was no New Testament. They used the Old Testament, but they had no combination of the, the New Testament at this point. 
So certain events would take place in light of the fact that the people didn't have a New Testament to refer to. But we have the New Testament now, and that tells us in chapter 10 in verse 34 to 35, Peter opened his mouth and said, I, in truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. You see that again. Who needs the accepting? Does God need to be accepted? Absolutely not. We need to be accepted. See, somehow it's gotten into man and, and built up his pride that, okay, I'll accept that offer from God. But it's us who need to be accepted by God. It is us who cannot come to him in our own righteousness. It is us who are unable to secure our own forgiveness. Something has to happen to us to make us acceptable to God. Peter didn't know about the fact that God had made everything clean through Christ. It was something maybe there in the back of his mind, but it had not come to the forefront. And so these things given supernaturally to them have been recorded supernaturally for us and thus to produce the same effect. You see, we don't need the vision Peter had because we have the word that shows us what happened and why it happened. And so we can go from that point and say, ah, now I see. Peter's vision and Cornelius' vision were not for us to seek to imitate, but to grow us in faith that the same God by his word does what he did through his word does what he did then by vision. And finally, when you know God is good, then you can set aside the inclination to question God's actions as questionable, but to see through the eyes of faith that whatsoever the Lord doth is right. Let's stand together for prayer.